Hello, and welcome to the Granta Podcast. Today, we're happy to bring you an interview with one of our best of young British novelists for, Xiaolu Guo. Guo studied at the Beijing Film Academy and the National Film School in London. She writes in both English and Chinese and has published seven novels, of which a concise Chinese-English dictionary for lovers was shortlisted for the Orange Prize for Fiction. Her other novels include UFO in Her Eyes, which she adapted into the 2011 film of the same name. Interim Zone, which appears in Granta 123, is an excerpt from I Am China, her forthcoming novel. Here she talks with deputy editor Ella Olfrey about her experience of growing up in rural China, who moved to writing in English and, more recently, becoming an East Ender. Jalu, thank you for coming to see us today. It's fantastic to have you on our list, and I want to start off talking a little bit about languages. Um, first of all, the language of film and the language that you use in literature, because it strikes me that they're two very different things, the way that you fix on an image. And I wondered, when, it, when a story comes to you, do you know right away whether it's going to be a film or a novel? Mm. Um by nature, I think I'm a writer. And then the secondary, I'm a filmmaker. So um, I think film is like, a, you know, if you make example, it's cliche example. Film is like your lover or writing is like your, your, your mother or your family. Because it's very natural. You, you shape your ideas through certain words. And if the visual word only comes after 90s because the video camera um, becomes available um, in the middle of 1990s. And that was the time I started to, to study uh, in the film school. Uh, but then I studied literature in the film school. So it's really a kind of a shift of the kind of uh, expression of the fashion, really. I think that the fashion changed. And I think I started as a young poet when I was 13, 14. And that was a fashion at that time in the 80s. Um, it's called misty poetry. And that was uh, the language and the fashion at that time. So, um, speaking about these, these different stages of yourself as a storyteller, tell me some of the first stories that you remember. What were your, the films that inspired? What were the, the books, especially, and the writers? That mm. um, I love the idea of you as a 13-year-old poet. Who were you reading? I really, uh, the, actually, the first stuff I read is uh, really American. Um, um, in Chinese, it's Bai Pai. I don't know what, what's the expression. Um, basically, Silver Plath. Yes. And a Frank O'Hara, actually. Because that time, the 80s, uh, Chinese government uh, thinks we can open up with certain kind of literature. So the first time they introduced uh, J.D. Selinger, and uh, quite radically they introduced uh, um, uh, Silver Plath. And uh, the first poetry book is about uh, suicide. And that was really radical in the, in the end of the 80s. And that's how I started to write poetry. Because first, it was is a woman. Second, a woman talked about death. This is shocking in China, in the literature world. And I was a young girl, you know, very kind of melancholy, typical, this kind of troubled youth, and very melancholy and lonely youth. And I think really a certain loneliness in her poetry um, talked to me, and I didn't really understand the, the symbol of death. Um, and uh, so that was a very strong influence. And then later on, uh, so, okay, J.T. Selinger, um, Frank O'Hara came, and uh, uh, really Charles Bukowski was the one really quite... Uh, very strong influence on me. And even when I came to West, um, the, the foundation of the Western influence, what we call West, is Soviet literature. 
Okay, for the for the West, Soviet is not West. But for us, it's West. They are white. Okay, for us, it's all all, all West. So Soviet literature plus is American that sixties stuff. Um, and then now I think it's very mixed uh, because I become quite a, a hardworking writer. So I do consciously uh, reading the stuff I don't really know. Um, Spanish literature, German literature, those kind of things, rather than East Asian literature. I love that sense of the world belonging to you as a reader and being immediately able to to identify with something um, that must have been quite far away from your experience, at least culturally. And you were talking um, just in that last last segment about the, the radical nature of a book by a woman about suicide. Was there ever a point at which you um, had to wonder, can I do this? Or did you know right away? Meaning, you know, as a writer. Uh, I think it, it began all very unconsciously because of loneliness. Um, it's very interesting, you know, you, uh, I, I lived in a, in a village house uh, without any sound or communication language because I lived with grandparents. And I was given away when I was very young. Uh, during the Cultural Revolution. So my mother was a Red Guard, and my ma- my father was in the camp, in the Cultural Revolution camp. So I was one of the very typical, uh, that generation was given to grandparents, and actually I was given away to another family um, in the 70s. So I absolutely grew up in the house of silence. There's no cultural communication. There's no, even no one talking, because they are really quite barbarian people. And then I was given to my grandparents when I was six or seven, and they are really very barbarian old people. So my grandmother was kind of a baby bride for my grandfather, oh. and it's really kind of feudal society. Which, um, I in my eyes, I remember that she had a tiny bound of feet, and she was praying the Buddha every day and crying. And my grandfather lives upstairs. Um, he used to have different uh, wife, and then the wife died. Um, so the kind of relationship is really quite cold and a very violent relationship. And I think that was the background of how I think about humanity. You know, you don't have those big words, humanity or human relation, but in my young eyes, the, the family, the concept of family is extremely cold and violent and hard and no culture, absolutely not soft. And I think that's why I think my first novel I wrote, called The Village of Story, it was really dark, and it's really based on my childhood. Such a non-gentle, non-communicable place, the rural environment. When I think of a rural environment, one thinks of sort of Bikolicsky scenes of people um, harvesting and, you know, the, the, the life going on that's based around nature. Um, those weren't the images that you were seeing around you? Um, I do as well. I did uh, see... Well, I, I see less and less nowadays, but uh, um, I love the strong agricultural landscape. In Chinese sense, it's really like buffaloes on the rice fields, and the peasants wear those uh, sun, um, sun hat, bamboo sun hat. But that's how I grew up um, in the southern China, in Zhejiang province. But those pictures um, really subside away or being washed by those cranes and the construction site radically last 20 years. And um, I wrote about that um, actually in one of my films called the UFO in the Eyes, how those landscapes have been radically smashed by, by the modern capitalistic machines. Um, so it's kind of complex. Those landscapes are both nostalgic but also violent because nature is indifferent somehow. And I grew up in a, in a 
very typhoon surrounded uh, uh, fishing village. So all I remember is this big storm, rainstorm and typhoon, and there's a boat being smashed on the East China Sea. So somehow the nature in my memory is very brutal. It's interesting to me because I think that I can understand and, and completely identify when you speak of that very bleak sense of, um, of human nature based, as you're saying, on your childhood. But I think sometimes in your writing I find sort of a kind of humour and certainly the women in your books are full of fire and um, personality. And so I wonder where, where those, those women came from. Thanks, Ella. This is good uh, praise. Um, I take it. Um, but the humor, humor is really something I think I learned uh, when I came here, came to Britain 10 years ago. Um, it's strange. People say, yeah, in your book there, there was humor, but it's not humor. You know, It was all the cultural misunderstanding. It becomes so funny, read by the foreign eyes. You know, it's misunderstanding. But then I learned, I abused it, and I used it, exploited, and it become humor in my book. And I especially... The first English one I wrote is Contents Chinese, English Diction for Lovers. That's after six novels I wrote in Chinese. And I think that's the first book I understand. I do need this this quality in a, in a very uh, sad, uh, gray story. Um, so And then I start to discover the power of that uh, because my vision is quite uh, pessimistic. So I really need that um, in, in this culture too. Um, it's like color. It's a color for a very dark book. Yes, that's that's a lovely way of putting it. Tell me about the coming to England because we started off our conversation speaking about the languages of film and, and literature. But it seems to me as if you have a you, well, you do have this other layer where you start off writing in Chinese and are now writing in English. And I wanted to ask: Are you the same writer in those in those two languages? Uh, that's really a complex question. It's such a big thing. I couldn't really figure out um, until today. Uh, people always say, okay, after immigrant, uh, some years, more than seven years, if you dream in, in a second language, means you did you did transform into second personality, which is a second language. But uh, I, I really don't know in what kind of language I speak after seven years living in Britain. But now it's 11 years living in Britain. Uh, I... There's profound difference. One actually is not language in the literature, but it's it's about um, self censorship in in the second language writing. So now I write in English, and I don't even treat it as second language. It's my my language. I write my novels. Um, I'm not talking about the censorship from outside the world, from publisher, or from the from the government, or from the media. It's really about myself. When I wrote subject, um, I no longer worry or care too much. Uh, what a grotesque character that is, or what a sensitive um, setting that is in my book. I didn't care less at all. So now this is very interesting. You know, you then you write something completely beyond your imagination. In the in your last forty years, you, you think, oh, I couldn't write like that, and this brings completely different book. For many readers, um, the concise. Chinese English Dictionary for Lovers was an introduction to your work. Um, tell me about learning English. Yeah, it's a um, global thing, speaking and learning English. And now it's so interesting that English language becomes so, um, in a way, dynamic and flexible for, for any foreigners because uh, so many people abuse it, use it, beautify it. 
um, and people like me uh, use in a, such a strange way or hackney way, or I adopt some Cockney English I didn't even understand, and I use it every day just because I live in Cockney East London. Um, it's amazing um, compared with uh, learning French or German because I did live in Paris for two years and I lived in Berlin and Hamburg for nearly two years and I did learn both language French and German as well uh, totally different I, I feel actually certain freedom in English not because the language is so called easier or being spoken by more people but because the language um, somehow the the economic situation allowed immigrants come to London more than any other capital city apart from New York, and you start to abuse and and utilize it and create your own certain style, and there's certain kind of democracy in that language, which people might say, okay, that's politically incorrect. You you think uh, French or German um, in the foreign mouth is politically um, more correct or something like that? But I said, look, I don't care because when the language uh, it's being utilized by so many different cultures uh, and being misunderstood and misrepresented and presented so many times. It's just so wonderful because you can play with it. And for a writer, there's so many uh, possibility how to play with a language in your writing, even if you're a foreign writer. But it also perhaps means that the English language is enhanced then because we were speaking earlier about your your early childhood and, and the things that you saw and felt and the writers who influenced you when you were still Chinese speaking and um, do you think that there's a it means that there's a certain kind of inflection? Absolutely. Or? Absolutely. The English language means enriched and enhanced in a great deal. Um, I, I say that the language has also been abused in the, in the more conservative sense, you know, for, for conservative um, native English speaker, they will think, they might think that's not a right way to say, but then for, for people like me, um, those immigrants, that's such a freedom. We can speak in our own way and no one's going to laugh at us. Uh, and we share those kind of crazy um, metaphor, which doesn't make sense in, in, in other language or in a native English speaker's mouth. So I do think the language is extremely enriched, and also it creates certain kind of um, literature experiment amongst writers because of the way someone writes in India English or Chinese English or Jamaica type of English, and they create such a dynamic um, uh, language um, dimension. It's that's something I think we should uh, really make a theme about it: how how the language been 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 exploded in a great way. I, I did love what you said earlier on about that refusal to, to think that you're writing in a foreign language because English is yours and certainly as a reader of your work it does feel as if you've claimed an ownership of it in a way that um, certainly makes my world bigger. I want to go backwards a little bit and um, I was really interested in what you're saying about having been given away to your grandparents and then to another family and that, that seems very traumatic for a child. Did you see your parents again? Yeah, I only saw them when my parents when I was quite big, like seven, um, and I didn't understand the concept of, of mother and a father, things I didn't live with them at all. And that was really, I think maybe, you know, in my writing uh, life, that was quite a big deal. Uh, it's near like a Bruno, Bruno Betterham, that kind of, you know, about child trauma, how they grow up with this certain kind of dark shadow forever in their in their memory and I think I do have that it's really strong it's it's nearly like you come out from the second world war war camp and that's just there I know 
Only now I, because this uh, immigration came to Britain, and then I started my own family in London. There's kind of like second birth, really. Only recently, I sort of understood how the family being kind of artificially constructed in each family or accidentally constructed,、um, and how you accept that and recreate your own family is such a big deal. It's、yeah. almost writing a new story, isn't it?、It's,、Absolutely, yeah. 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 And the people ask me sometimes.、Uh, journalists will ask me, you know, writing English is a commercial choice first, and I really think that's really easy and lazy way to think. A writer adopt English to write、uh, is a commercial choice because actually first is intellectual loneliness when you live in in another country you can't write in your own language and you can't publish in your own language. So that created the profound intellectual loneliness. You want to write in a language people can understand and you can speak. Going back to what you were saying earlier about the the differences for you between the between the languages of your migrations, the English and the German and the French,、um, and the fact that you have a new baby right now, what language is she going to speak? Yeah, so the, my my daughter would speak. Chinese English, but English would be her first language. So she's officially registered as a Hackney citizen. Because I, I really live, you know, always live around Hackney Road, and there's a notorious road, Hackney Road, and I can move away maybe to Mayor Street, which is fifteen meters away. And I always think such an ugly street. I spend my ten years here、uh, in different flat around that street. And then、uh, my baby was born a month ago, so we have to take her tiny baby to Hackney Council. To register as a Hackney citizen, I said, "Look, okay, that's it. We agreed. We are born. We, yeah, the baby is born, and we are living here, and it's it's consolidation with the street." That that idea of a, of a new story, I think, is is quite quite magical and rather exciting.、Um, not just with the birth of the baby, but I I want to talk a little bit about where your stories come from. You've you've told us about your childhood and the sort of the the early books and how that came out of there. But、um, for example, I I'm really interested in, in what happens when you're sitting in that empty room and you're thinking, you know, of your next project and so on. How do you look at things? What what do you use to inspire you? I mean, we've we've talked to several writers, and there's been music and things like that. But I I want to know about your own creative process and、mm. how it all kicks off.、Mm. I think as a writer, I'm very、uh, a primitive writer, which means I don't get inspired because reading the music or reading another poem or reading another book. I get inspired from very raw, very very first hand raw reality, and I, in that sense, I'm really primitive. What I experience, or what I feel so angry about, it, and I start to, to construct story around the real events. So it's very kind of nearly like folk storyteller, you know, market storyteller. And、uh, although I had all this education about cinema and literature, but somehow those education never really、um, <laughs> give me the skill to to write. And I'm kind of still that kind of grandmother type of of young writer. Am I still? Still, some kind of skills from French writing, you know, but but really,、uh, is is that kind of writer? So I say, in the past, I most of my inspiration from political event in China, I got really angry or or, or big rage or, or some urgent political issue made me want to write. It's so that's very much like Soviet ex-Soviet writer. And then since I left the country,、uh, living in Britain,、um, this. Uh, Subsides away a bit, and I kind of go go beyond that kind of reality writing, and I also very very strange. I realize ide- ideological struggle within those human stories are very first degree, 
And now I think my stories try to go beyond the story within ideological struggle, you know, within family or between the individual and the government. I see that's only a temporary story. So, which means I read a much more of surrealist kind of writing or, or even fairy tale, those kind of writing because I, I want to go towards that direction. I'm really interested in what you were saying about there being that kind of raw passion at the heart of your, your early work. And it seems to me that it still does connect, even if you, you have moved away from that. And there, is there a quite big cost to you on a, on a sort of personal, emotional level to that genesis? Very much so. Um, I think that's why I got very, always got quite low, even depressed uh, during the writing of each, every single of my novel, which is really weird. I was talking to lots of European novelists, especially the genre uh, novelists, when they wrote the, the crime novel or children's story. They really enjoy the process because it's not that personal. It's not digging their pain. And it's it's joy of creating the, the plots of murder or, or the game of the story. They love that process, and I hate it. <laughs> um, and I couldn't understand why writing such a joy. I said, it's such a pain painstaking thing um, I, I really each writing is kind of each long depression um, but then I realized it's because I take too personal and uh, it's it's you know the ten times worse than psychoanalysts uh, the process and I never went to see any psychoanalyst and I think that's why I thought you know that's yourself digging your own dark hole um, but now because age uh, grows I'm turning into 40 and um, I think there's a limitation of how much you can dig from your own life, and also the 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 horizon you want to expand, the ambition as a writer, basically, the ambition of a writer take you actually slightly away from your own personal life and go beyond, something like T.S. Eliot said, um, to control rather than to release your emotion in the literature, and I think that's really only recently I realized that. It's, it's an important thing to know. Um, as a citizen of Hackney, do you get to go back to China much? I do go back uh, every year in the Spring Festival. Um, Why I, the Spring Festival? Because it's a Chinese New Year. Um, it's a symbol of Chinese New Year. It's a big eating with family. Mm. And I, my stomach grow really hungry. <laughs> when, when the Chinese New Year come and then find an excuse, okay, I have to go back yeah, and I eat for for two weeks with all the, all the stuff I'm desperate for in London and then come back and starve myself. <laughs> it's a it's a rapidly changing society. I think the pace of change in China is is, is incredible, especially if you compare it even to, to our lives in London. And is that something you notice sort of increasing with each visit or, or does it seem um does the fact that you go back annually make it a little bit more static? No, it it's a change. Uh, it has changed so much, but it was changing 25 years ago, radically. So at the moment, I think the last 10 years changed not as radical as actually 20 years ago. Because 20 years ago is really a transition from very communist or socialist looking towards capitalist society. That's 25 years ago. And now it's a continuation of this capitalism. Uh, it's just more formu- formulated like the Western society. So uh, my, 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 my emotion was more radical, really. Um, when I arrived in Beijing, um, that was nearly 20-something years ago, from my southern village, uh, that was very radical. The street name, everyday change. And the street, everyday is changing direction because expanding the highway. And that was really crazy um, for, for teenager youth to think about the world. 
And now it's so formulated. You know, it's really the same in a way. You know, you you go to a Chinese street in Beijing, in Starbucks, and you are in London, there's Starbucks. You know, everything's so similar. Um, I see there's no cultural shocking anymore. It's the only thing is ideological, um, um, very characteristic ideological education within people's mind. That's still very profound. Yeah. Even with the, one of the things that struck me on a visit to China was that at least the people I was meeting were reading very much as you described. The reading was very wide, translations from all kinds of languages. Do you think that that does that make a difference? It made a difference for you. Mm. I don't know. They. Um, I I of, often wonder how. Cause Twenty years ago, American is the only destiny for Chinese to go and for the Chinese youth. And now, uh, maybe it's about returning. So, so twenty years ago, the West they reading the West from the literature, translated the novels and the TV and the cinema. Uh, so so much imagination about the West, and uh, now um, I think most of Chinese are very disappointed in the West. I say my fridge in China was much better, or my my house in China is much more advanced, high tech. So they might be longing to go back, but then they they don't like either when they come back because certain kind of expression or freedom is really different in 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 the, in the country. Um, so this is a very sensitive time. Um, it's kind of, in a way, losing direction time. You couldn't really understand and know where it goes. Mm. You, you've spoken um, sort of very eloquently about that process of moving from one language to another, and we've been asking um, the writers in this issue to tell us about an English language teacher, somebody who, um, who told them it was possible for them to be a writer who gave them the confidence and I guess in some ways, at least I have always imagined and I could be wrong, that you've already written this, this, this the story of, of, of learning language is there, tell us about your English teacher who you remember uh, because in, in my my generation born 70s, so you only get English teacher um, middle school, high school mm. and you actually you might have three years uh, proper English education, but really the level in high school is this is a book, or I read a book, and that's a level, and you learn those words, and you can't make second sentence after that because you lack of the, the really the organic process of express uh, a language or a concept. So basically you are still disabled uh, before you can even speak uh, the language. You only know a few words. Um, that was me um, before I came to Britain. So I couldn't really remember how my English teacher was, but I, all I remember, um, he was quite beautiful man. Somehow anything linked to the West, much more elegant and more beautiful, less barbarian. I remember this teacher uh, in my high school, and uh, he dressed much better um, in that little town. I remember, and I even heard his death actually recently. Um, a few years ago, and they had a big funeral for that English teacher. It's something like, you know, a priest come to a village, and the English teacher in small towns always a big deal. They present something really fancy and, and civilized. 
And then now I'm in the West, I think, okay, well, all these concepts is really interesting. <laughs> that sense of being disabled by lack of language made me, I was smiling because I immediately thought of, you know, reading, especially your recent work with your writing in, in English, where you, you go from, I guess, disability to being bionic. It's, you know, rather wonderful. Um, and we have an extract, The Interim Zone, from your new book. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Um, it's the first book I tried to really construct a structure uh, within structure. I used to love uh, Carvino a lot. So Itano Carvino is kind of big thing for me, and I think you do you do sense that in this new novel I'm trying to... So it's a book really going through an English translator's eye. Her eye and her hands try to translate a bunch of secret letters and diaries, and then she discover much bigger secret through those Chinese uh, writing. And everything reads from her hand in London. Um, and for me, I, I have to find a strong reason to write a, a quite big English novel uh, with strong reason why I have to write in English. And I think really that was the key. Like, I, I need someone to read Chinese and translate into English. That's, I think that's how the beginning of the, the novel was created. Otherwise, I don't have any reason writing certain language or apart from Chinese. It's really interesting that. So you, you're saying that um, don't some stories come to you and you feel that this is a story that has to be written in, in English because is that, was that what you mean? Or did it work the other way around that, that you had to find that, that reason? Mm. I think I, I have been bothered quite seriously about uh, the identity of the writer in the story which happened in the, in the East and, what, and in the West. So, for example, so if the story is completely happening in China, so I can write in Chinese, or I decide I just write in English, in my kind of broken English, okay, that's a decision. Um, but a story happened in a very Chinese folk society, and then also in a very... English society in London, it starts to bother me uh, the identity of the narrator. Who are you? How can you speak all these kind of language and understand their mentality uh, without any effort? So it starts become a big deal uh, during the writing when the when the landscape change and shift. And I don't believe this kind of you know perfect enclosed narrator who can jump from Africa to America knows everything. So the narrator has this certain limit. And that really bothers me, and I, re I realized I have to find this person who is enabled to understand another culture, another language, and who is that, or able, and is that literally translator. So I found that role, and then I sorted out the, 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 the whole structure. So that's how the layer of layer of reading and rewriting and retranslating come out in the novel. It's a fantastic sort of struggle to start off something, and and um, certainly from the extract that we have in in the magazine, promises great things, and we look forward to it. Shalu, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and it's a huge pleasure for us to have you on our list. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Granta podcast. Available for free download on iTunes, SoundCloud, and selected British Airways flights. To subscribe to Granta, please visit our website granta.com backslash subscribe.